0: This morning I want to talk to you from the subject, Come to Jesus and Drink. Come to Jesus and Drink. From Exodus 17, verses 1 through 7. Let's look at these verses and talk about this subject, Come to Jesus and Drink. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidium. So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the name of the place Maza and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Come to Jesus and drink. What this passage is aiming at is that you and I would would know the presence and power of the Lord when we are needy and we would trust in Him. By way of introduction, repetition is one of God's tools to teach us important life lessons that, unfortunately, we tend to repeatedly forget. Here in chapter 17, we again encounter Israel's disbelief and grumbling. Ten times in chapters 15 through 17, we hear of Israel's grumbling. And it is meant to show us ourselves and our own need for daily repentance and faith in Jesus. And especially when we find ourselves in difficult circumstances. What do you do when the Lord leads you to need, number one, what do you do when the Lord leads you to need? The Lord commanded He ordered the steps of his people to Rephidium, where he knew there was no water for them to drink. That seems cruel, and a display of irresponsible leadership at worst or poor planning at best. But as so often is the case, there is so much more to the story than initially meets the eye. Israel again quarreled with Moses about their circumstances. Moses' response teaches us many things. He says, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? Moses was only following the Lord's direction. So Israel's grumbling was really against the Lord. Have you been blaming certain political leaders and grumbling against their lackluster efforts to address the present crisis? Even if they are not in communion with God, have you fallen into the trap of believing that human incompetence somehow paralyzes God's ability to act and provide for your needs? Have you allowed yourself to be inundated with the media's coverage of COVID-19? And now you are panicky, nervous, and scared for your life. Are you tempted to buy the lie of self-preservation at the expense of loving and worshiping God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving others as yourself? The second half of verse 3 highlights this when it is correctly translated. However, it is incorrectly translated in most English versions. For example, the ESV says, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? However, the Hebrew says, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill me and my children and my livestock with thirst? You hear how the Hebrew brings out the increasing digression in the context of Israel's complaint, to a self-absorbed and self-centered fear that God has suddenly abandoned me, abandoned you, to your troubles. Israel's lack in this story, lack of water, and their lackluster faith go hand in hand and are purposely being contrasted with the faithful presence, power, and provision of the Lord. These themes show you your need to believe God has good plans for you, despite how things presently appear. It is also obvious that something else is missing in Israel. Is it missing in you? Do you remember their panic, Israel's panic and grumbling at the Red Sea, as if the Lord brought them out of Egypt to kill them in the wilderness? The Lord showed himself glorious at that moment. He amazed all with how he alone is awesome. Israel praised him and blessed his name. Since then, the Lord made the bitter water sweet, gave bread and quail for them to eat. But something was missing in Israel. They had it, but they lost it. Have you lost it too? When they were rescued from the Egyptian army at the Red Sea, They worshipped, they sang, they got to tambourine, they danced to the Lord. Last week we saw how Israel came to the wilderness of sin only after they first went back to the Red Sea. They were sent back by God to remember what the Lord had done so they would be stirred to sing and not stop praising and worshipping the Lord. When God made the bitter water sweet, There is, however, no record in the Bible of a subsequent worship service. When the Lord sent the manna and quail for them to eat, there is no record in the Bible of a daily worship service for the Lord's provision. That is why they kept grumbling. That is the reason why you and I often keep grumbling, even after the Lord has proven himself Graphically in our lives. Every day God provides for you. Do you seek to worship Him for every blessing? Do you stop and pause to give thanks? Are you in the habit of giving thanks each time you see the Lord work mercifully on your behalf? In the introduction to Psalm 18, it is stated a Psalm of David who addressed the words of this song to the Lord. On the day when the Lord delivered him. David wrote a song to the Lord the same day the Lord delivered him. What do you do when the Lord delivers you? What do you do when the Lord leads you to need? Well, this passage clearly calls us to worship him for what he's already done. This is being repeated in these chapters because the Lord knows how soon we forget and how much we need to be reminded of what he has done. We celebrate the supper to remember the Savior we often forget. Therefore, we must remember Jesus, as Paul told Timothy. You know, Israel was not the only one that thirsted. You're not the only one who finds yourself in need during this time when we're about to celebrate the the death and the resurrection of Jesus. When Jesus hung on Calvary it was Jesus who said, I thirst. And when he did, they gave him sour wine a drink that would have enhanced his sufferings. It would have woken him up physically to feel the pain of crucifixion even more deeply. But he didn't complain. He called on his Father to receive his Spirit because Jesus knew that his sufferings meant communion for us and a return to glory for him. And that's often what sufferings are for. They drive us to have deeper communion with God. When secluded, like Jesus was secluded on the cross, we're secluded in our houses so often now, it calls us to have a deeper communion with God. That's exactly what Moses did. He prayed, the Bible says. He cried out to God in his circumstances, something we must never, ever forget to do to be prayerful in these circumstances. Second, what what the Lord does when he leads you to need. We looked at what, what do you do when the Lord leads you to need, but what does the Lord, what's he up to when he leads us to need? The Lord says to Moses, pass on before the people, pass on is the same word that up to this point in the book of Exodus has been used only in the context of the Passover. It is a a reminder, it's not the only word that's used for Passover, but it's one of those words that's used with respect to the Passover. And it's a reminder at this point to Moses, Israel, and us of the grace and patience of the Lord with complaining people. They didn't deserve life in Egypt. They didn't deserve to live. They should have died like the Egyptians died. But because of the blood, and only because of the blood, God passed over them. They don't deserve to live now in the wilderness, complaining against the God who saved them. So this simple word the Lord commands Moses to pass on is a reminder to Moses of the grace and mercy with which God is handling his people. And Moses is also asked to take with him the staff with which he struck the Nile as he and some of the elders go where God has told them. The staff that Moses struck the Nile, the Egyptians considered the Nile to be a god, the source of their life and vitality. Here, however, the true God says Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. When God calls us to behold, He's not calling us to peekaboo. He's calling us to give our full attention to something, to wake up, look at something. Something immense is about to be shown you. God is calling Moses clearly to strike him the real God, and cause him, the real God, to suffer in order that Israel's thirst might be quenched. This is a clear allusion to Jesus' crucifixion. Striking the Nile, striking that false God, brought life to no one. But here, striking the true God, the real God, the only God, brings life and vitality to Israel. And the striking of Jesus at the crucifixion brought eternal life to all who will believe and trust in him. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Paul is speaking directly of this particular passage along with Numbers chapter 20. And he's saying that the rock that was struck was Jesus. When Jesus was crucified, the centurion pierced his side, and water and blood came out of him. Before this, Jesus said to the Samaritan woman who needed repentance and faith, who needed to turn from sin and needed to trust in him, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. And Jesus explains what he's talking about later on in John's Gospel. In chapter 7, it says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were about to receive. This promise of Christ is a fulfillment of Isaiah's command. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat without money and without price. And in that chapter, chapter 55 of Isaiah, Isaiah is calling the people, how do we come, how do we take of partake of these these waters without money and he explains it by listening diligently to the lord that's how we eat what is good and delight ourselves in rich food by inclining our ear and coming to him that our soul may live and all who come he promises several things number 1 he promises his steadfast and sure love to them And next he promises to make those people witnesses to the nations. He promises to use them to extend his kingdom. And he also promises forgiveness. He he calls us to repentance, to seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, that he may have compassion on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon So this this, this water imagery, this coming uh, to the rock to drink, is imagery. It's a call to repentance. It's a call to come back to God. Has this crisis made you stray further from God instead of moving closer to Him? Well, God is calling us back to repentance, to turn back to Him, to trust in Him, to believe in Him. And he also promises us to feed. He he calls us to feed on his word and promises a transformation in our life when we do. Just like rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. He's saying that when it rains and when it snows, it makes the whole ground fruitful and it gives life, physical life to people. And in the same way, he says his word that comes out of his mouth, what Israel was called to live on and what we are called to live on, it never returns to him empty, but it accomplishes the purpose for which he sent it and succeeds in the thing for which he gave it. And what he gave it for was transformation in your life, character transformation, internal transformation That you might be filled with the Spirit, filled with the joy of the Lord, and it might bring glory to the Lord. It might make His name famous among the nations. That's what this passage calls us to in Exodus 17. It calls us to come and to drink of Jesus, who is the rock that followed Israel. That is the rock who is with us now and to never ask this chilling question that Israel asked in verse 7. And you have to set the stage for this, that up to this point, the nation of Israel is the nation where God dwells. It's in the midst of these people that He lives on earth. It It is through these people that He has made Himself known He has done miraculous works from the time of Abraham up to this time. He has brought them out of bondage. He's brought them through the sea. He's fed them. He's given them drink. And then they turn and ask, is the Lord among us or not? It is that chilling question in times of crisis, in times of COVID-19, it's that type of question that a Christian must never ask. Is the Lord among us or not? God has already proven himself many, many times over in your life personally and in history. Of course he's with his people. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He will never turn away from us. He will never abandon us. He dwells inside of us. Of course he is with us. And so in this time of social distancing and all kinds of cancellations, we must never believe that the Lord has abandoned us. We might need wisely to distance ourselves socially from people, but the Lord has never distanced himself from us. He has never, and nor will he ever, distance himself from us. We can all recall the poem of footsteps in the sand and how the man complained and worried and was anxious about during those times of most hardship. There was only one set of footprints, and it was those times, the author says, that I carried you. God was closer to us then than he ever had been before. That his presence is immense upon his people and he never leaves us. And so this calling to to recognize the presence of God, to believe in the presence of God in the midst of our sufferings is something we must lay hold of with all of our heart and soul. And we must worship God in these times of difficulty and praise Him and give thanks to Him and recall the wonders that He has already done. Uh, Nehemiah said it was the joy of the Lord that strengthens us. It's rejoicing in Him. That's what Paul said, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. There is never a time, no matter what time it is, where we can stop rejoicing in the Lord. It's always time to rejoice in the Lord. When is it time to worship? It's always time to worship. When is it time to praise God? It's always time to praise God. There's never a time where we can say we can stop praising the Lord. The angels in heaven never stop praising the Lord. And Jesus never died for an angel to this day. But he died for you. When he was struck on Calvary, when he was hammered on the cross, life came out of him. Life eternal came out of him. It emanated from him for all who look to him and believe. We said it again and we must say it again that if Jesus Christ has dealt with the worst case scenario that ever could happen in our life, certainly he's got us now. He who did not spare his own Son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And that is why the present struggles and the present troubles can't even be compared. They're not worth being compared with the glory that shall be revealed unto us. So we have to believe, we have to trust in the, in the Lord who gives us drink from the fountain. Jesus Christ himself, and how Jesus Christ puts within us a fountain, the spirit of the living God, who calls us to glory in Christ Jesus. Paul said, far be it from me to glory in anything except Jesus Christ and and him crucified, with whom I am dead to the world, and the world is dead to me. There has been a new creation in the life of every single person who believes in Jesus Christ. And we must rejoice in that newness that God has brought to us in Christ Jesus. We must be filled with the Spirit of God, that well of water He's put in us, that the love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, may emanate from our lives Yes, we need to be wise and distance ourselves because of the germs. What do they say? You need to spray and pray. And, uh, but at the same time, when opportunity comes across your table and comes into your life to serve, then we must take up that opportunity faithfully and trust in the Lord, the fountain that never runs dry. So we bless his name, we praise him, because he aims to use us to never ask this question, is the Lord among us or not, but to prove by our lives that in fact the Lord is among us, that he lives within us, and he lives through us. We have been crucified with Christ and we no longer live, but Christ lives in us. In the life we now live, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. Let the love of Christ and the gift of Christ on the cross forever drive your life today. That God has got you. He will never abandon you. He will never leave you, but he's with you always. God bless you.